Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Take your Bibles this morning, go to Matthew chapter 6. We highly value preaching here in our services. And, and uh, someone said, uh, preaching is king and music is queen. Uh, the, the idea is they complement each other. They go hand in hand. And I am so thankful for the music that has ministered to me. I hope it has ministered to you. We uh, have deliberately sang back our worship to the Lord. So I trust it has been pleasing to Him as well. Now we open our Bibles, and I'd like to preach a message that I've entitled, Sunday Should Not Be a Performance. And so in just a moment, we'll stand together, and we'll do a responsive reading of the first eight verses of Matthew chapter 6. But I, I'm like so many of you, I love a good show. And I enjoy plays, whether they be comedies or, or tragedies or high drama. I mean, frankly speaking, it's hard to beat the music man. Oklahoma or, or, or South Pacific. In fact, uh, I met Arnold Schwarzenegger. I actually had lunch with him several years ago. And I just want to say he has nothing on the king and I. Um, and, and Tom Cruise cannot beat seven brides for seven brothers. And some of our younger people say, what is he even talking about? I enjoy Shakespeare, and even though the language is archaic, the drama is real and it's intense, and who can forget that dark, somber Macbeth, Hamlet's soliloquies, or the romantic balcony scene in Romeo and Juliet? But there are two truths that apply to every type of play, whether it be musical, whether it be a movie, whether it be a TV program, there are two things that are universally true. First of all, the people in the show are actors. The people in the show are merely actors. In real life, they have different names and they have different identities. And we, we, we dare not confuse the real person with the character that they play. And here's a second truth. The program is not real. The musical is not real. The, the movie is not real. What we see is a portrayal of fiction. Um, and even if the show is based in fact, well, you're seeing a fact mimicked. Face it, if every person that was ever killed in a movie or TV show really died, half the population of California would be gone. <laughs> and what is true of all types and shows, I want you to listen as we begin today, should not be true for the local church. Said simply, Sunday should not be a performance. Often the opposite is true. Christians will often act hypocritically. And we live one way through the week and we act a completely different way on Sunday. We're two people. Uh, we put on one face for the world and we put on another face for the church. And we know how to act and how to sound. And we know how to uh, be religious and spiritual on Sunday. But God, God looks and sees how we act on Monday and Tuesday. And it's a different person than Sunday. In other words, oftentimes Sunday is nothing more than a performance. 
knowing I was preaching as I was just watching some of those who were singing today. There were some people that were singing today that were not acting. They believed the truth of what they were singing. They were truly worshiping and giving back to the Lord. And there are those who sang this morning and maybe we liked the song and we sang a performance, but maybe it wasn't worship. I, I want us to, to recognize that, that unlike movies and plays and television programs, what we do on Sunday is real, must be real. And this morning's text is a continuation of our ongoing verse-by-verse -verse study of the book of Matthew. And I'd like for you to stand with me as we responsibly read these uh, first eight verses here. And as I always do, I'll read the odd verses and you will follow along with the even verses. And if you do not have a Bible, there's one in the row that you are in or the words will be on the screen behind me. And we're going to read down to verse number eight. Beginning of verse number one, I'll read, take heed that ye do not your alms be, that ye, let me start over, take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. In other words, players, actors. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Isn't that a great promise? Before you ever pray, your heavenly Father knows what you need. But we fail to pray, identify those needs. Let's pray. Father... Thank you that we can enter into your presence. I love you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for saving my wretched, wicked, uh, sinful life at the age of 19. And Father, I pray that you will help us today to learn something about how we should literally worship you. Father, thank you for the testimony of Jesus and how he clarified these issues. And Father, may this morning's message be a help to us as we enter into this Christmas season. Father, I pray there to be one among us that does not have a personal relationship. And they saw those folks being baptized, and maybe it was confusing to them of what, why they're getting baptized. What does that represent? Father, may your Holy Spirit be powerful, and may it move upon people today, uh, both Christian and unsaved, that we would know you and be willing to know you. Would you, Father, bless this message at this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. A.W. Tozier wrote these words. I'm afraid we modern Christians are long on talk and short on conduct. 
We use the language of power, but our deeds are the deeds of weakness. We settle for words in religion because deeds are too costly. It is easier to pray, Lord, help me to carry my cross daily than to pick up the cross and actually carry it. But since the mere request for help to do something we do not actually intend to do has a certain degree of religious comfort, we're content with repetition of the words. May I go back some 2,000 years ago so that we can make the, the Bible come to life and we can understand the context of what Jesus was writing here. You see, in Jesus' days, there was this group of people called the Pharisees and the scribes. And they were professionals at putting on religious shows or performances. They looked and they sounded extremely religious. But Jesus said of these two groups of people in Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 27 that they were like whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but inward they were full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. But I say to you, Phariseeism did not die in the first century 2,000 years ago. There are still people who love to put on a religious show today. And frankly speaking, if I can just be very transparent with you, any place east of us, they've already had church. Church services are over back in the east two hours uh, ago. And here's the thing. In churches up and down the East Coast, there were many performances, shows, Pharisees, scribes, or as Jesus plainly called them, hypocrites. They love to act out the part. And the sad truth is, is that for all of their works and all of their words, they are hollow, empty, and they're void of any lasting power. That is why Jesus' words in this passage ring so crystal clear. And with striking clarity, he guides us um, uh, and explains those selfish, self-centered motives of people who desire to be seen performing. And so Jesus gives us some clarifications, and I'd like to highlight those this morning. Clarification number one is this. Jesus delivers an expo, expo he exposes uh, uh, the religious ex exhibitionist. Jesus delivers an expo, I cannot say that word this morning. <laughs> I am so sorry. Expose. Uh, Jesus delivers this expose, uh, and I wrote this, uh, 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 of the religious exhibitionist. And in what we read, Jesus here, he begins with words of warning. He says this, take heed. And these two words mean this, beware, be careful. Literally, the term means to take hold of something, pay attention to it in the sense of being on guard. When you drive on an entrance ramp to the freeway, um, uh, if you go down 22nd Street and you turn right to go north on I-10, there is a yield sign there, and it warns you of oncoming, oncoming traffic that's going to hit you if you do not slow down. Uh, the yellow light at the traffic signal is a warning light that's telling you it's, uh, the light's about to turn red. You're to stop at this light. For some, it means hurry up, but, but the warning light is there. Uh, the yellow light is to warn you it's time to slow down. It's time to stop. Um, what Jesus is saying, there's a biblical warning. Take heed. And he clarifies this as he's exposing all of these Pharisees and scribes, or today we call these people exhibitionists, that have some type of quote-unquote religion. 
Now, Jesus, in this passage of Scripture, he speaks of our spiritual duties. Whatever we do that is of a spiritual nature, whether it is giving of money, praying, teaching, singing, preaching, serving, witnessing, we must never do these things merely to be seen of men. Hey, look at me. Look what I did. You know, one of the things that I I could talk about Mrs. Howard for just a moment. Um, Mrs. Howard loves to use her voice and, get, and to worship back to the Lord. Wasn't that a, a blessing this morning? Uh, that was just wonderful how that she could sing. Um, but, but, but you know that I, I, I've been knowing Mrs. Howard now for 15 years, and I can say this, she, she doesn't want you to give her a pat on the back. She doesn't want you to brag on her. Uh, it makes her feel uncomfortable. The reason she sang this morning is to serve the Lord and give back to the Lord. But there are those who may thought this morning, you know what? I could sing better than that if they just asked me. I could do a better job. And, and you know what? If they just asked me to sing, I could really show her how to sing. Somebody here had that thought today. I can assure you it was not me. <laughs> the, the fact is, is there's some sometimes that people do things to be seen of men. And maybe, maybe all of us have done that at some point in time. You've done some of your service to God just kind of hoping that others would notice. And I, I know that I've done that in my lifetime. So it's okay to admit that, that you've done that. But that should not be what drives us. That should not be our motivation is to be seen of men. Um, we, we have all developed a somewhat... Nose up, chest out, strut your stuff, spirituality. And, and I just want to say, Jesus strongly rebukes that in the passage of Scripture that we just read this morning. The problem is, is that when we want to be recognized, it's not real anymore. It's a performance. And may I just say this? A religious exhibitionist does not impress God any more than Jesus was impressed by the scribes and Pharisees. So Jesus, he speaks of the result of those who practice religious exhibition. He speaks of that. And look in the passage of Scripture here. If you perform uh, uh, your spiritual activities so that other people will notice you and, and think what a great Christian you are, the Bible is clear and specific. He said, they have no reward from your Father which is in heaven. If you're seeking a pat on the back, and you sing in church, or you usher, or you're a deacon, or you are, or whatever, and, you're, and you do that hoping that someone will give you a pat on the back, and they give you the pat on the back, you just received your reward, the Bible says. It's over. There's no future rewards. And Jesus here uh, 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 reminds us that this is one of the results of those who like to to be out in front performing for all. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, there is no reward from God to those who seek it from men. Would you rather seek the fleeting approval of someone who doesn't really even like you in exchange for an eternal reward from God? There's a Japanese legend that tells of a man who wanted to be in the empirical orchestra. Um, And that was... That was, that was something to be really proud of. It was an honor to be in the Japanese Imperial, Empirical Orchestra. Because of his great influence and his wealth, he demanded that he be given a place uh, 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 the, to, that he could perform before the emperor of Japan. 
The conductor, he agreed to let him sit in the second row, even though he could not read the first note of music. He was given a flute. And when the concert uh, would begin, he would raise his instrument and he would pucker his lips and he would move his fingers and he would go through all the motions of playing. But he never made a sound. The deception continued for two years. And then there was a new conductor who took over and he told the orchestra that he wanted to audition every single player personally and one by one they performed in his presence. The imposter was frantic with worry and so he pretended to be sick when it was time for his audition. The royal doctor declared that he was perfectly well. The conductor insisted that the man appear to demonstrate his skill. Shamefacedly, he had to confess that he was a fake. And he had to face the music, as they say. Someday, every believer will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and face the music. I would like for that to sink in. You may have been playing in the quote-unquote spiritual orchestra of church for years. Hoping to receive the accolades of man and perhaps receiving the accolades of man and uh, through those years. But one day, the conductor, the one who knows all, will call for the audition. And your realness, my realness, your fakeness, my fakeness will be revealed at that time. Jesus clarifies that everyone's going to stand before God. And the question would not be um, so much what we did or how well we did it, but the question is to be why we did it. What was the motivation for our service for Christ? The applause of men will be forgotten as Jesus sits through the, the words of our lives and, and, uh, and replays those and, and we go through those because the Bible does say that our works after salvation will be tried, revealed. Motivations for that. Jesus clarifies that there's a lot of religious exhibitionists and one day, their day is coming. Jesus gives us a second clarification in this passage of Scripture. Jesus delivers an admonition about charitable givers. It's Christmas. It's December. It's a time for us to be charitable. Jesus delivers an admonition regarding charitable givers. And verse number two, he just simply shows us this, that Christians must be givers. Christians must be givers. In the first century, the Jews measured each one's spirituality by how much they did charitable deeds. And, the, and we, we don't use this word today, but in our past scriptures, it uses the word alms. Alms refers to charitable deeds or the giving of money. Alms, as many translate this term, has the, has the, the same root as the word righteousness. Those who were righteous were those who gave alms or gifts of money, food, clothing to the poor. I want you to be reminded, 2,000 years ago, there was no welfare system, and there were beggars everywhere, and they simply were asking for alms. And according to John chapter 12, or John 13, verse 29, Jesus and his disciples gave charitable gifts to the poor, even through their own money box, if you will. In fact, it was so common and so expected. I want you to notice here in this passage of Scripture, Jesus does not say this. He does not say if you do charitable deeds. I would like everyone to look up here. It's not 
if you give tithes and offerings as a member of our church, it should never be if you're going to do this. I want you to notice the very specific words that Jesus said. And if you, depending on your Bible, the red letter edition, these are the very words of Jesus. He says this. He says this. When, and if you mark in your Bible, I encourage you to underline that little word. It is a significant word. Because if you put the word if there, it changes the whole context. Jesus says, when thou doest thine alms. Failure to give to the temple, the priest, or to the relief of the poor was considered completely unspiritual. We have been saved by grace. We're no longer under the law. And yet, I want you to know there's still some church members you're way behind in your giving here. Because you're taking the approach of something that Jesus never said, if I give. Jesus said, when you give. The Jews perverted this noble act by teaching that the giving of alms or charitable deeds earned great favor with God. In the Jewish uh, book uh, uh, of Tobit, we read this. Uh, It says this, charity will save a man from death. It will expiate any sin. Times have changed. Today, many people hold their money and they hold their possessions selfishly and they refuse to give to to help those in need. And when they come to church, they ignore the biblical teachings of the tithe and the offering. And often, people are this. They're too self-centered to give. Do you know what we could do if every member just did their part? Now, if you're visiting with us, I never preach on giving. In fact, we haven't even received an offering today. We've not talked about giving. We're not taking an offering at the end of the serve. We have giving boxes, and our people know what to do. If you're visiting with us, we don't even uh, talk about giving. We do not want your money. And so I never speak on giving. But here's the great thing about preaching through the Bible, is that often you get to come to the part on giving. And it's there. And so I'm not going to gloss over it and skip over it. It's a great opportunity during December, during the time that we give, to talk about it. Here's the thing. I want you to, I don't don't even know if it's in your notes, but if it's not in your notes, you need to write this down. Spiritual people are giving people. Spiritual people are giving people. We do not have time to go all through all the biblical texts that teach us to give, but trust me on this one. You cannot outgive God. And there's some people that are deep in debt And the reason you're deep in debt is because you have failed to give to God. And it only compounds your misery. Shelly and I learned a long time ago, early in our marriage, there was a couple couple months that we went by and I didn't tithe. And that was my responsibility and I I owned that. I did not tithe. It's amazing the problems you can immediately have when you stop tithing, giving back to the Lord. And so for 35 years of our 36 years of marriage, we have been very faithful giving, and God has met our needs. You cannot outgive God. I promise you, you can't. Um, spiritual people are giving people. But here's the thing we learned that the Bible is going to say the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is going to do. I'm going to explain that to you in just a moment. I don't give so that you can know what I give. I give back to the Lord because it's between me and the Lord. And just like I've said in all of our membership classes, I do not look at your giving. Because I need to be able to shake your hand. I need to be able to look you eyeball to eyeball and not think, you rob God. I don't want that to be my first thought because I know that you are not faithful in your giving. May I just remind you, church family, Jesus said, spiritual people are giving people. And frankly speaking, I know the numbers 
of church families that we have, and we just use the law of averages, just the law of averages, we are way behind this year what we should have given. Whew, we got quiet. Just the simple law of averages. There's a lot of people you have not been faithful this year, and it's time to finish strong. You say, well, I got Christmas gifts to to buy. Well... Guess what? You would have had plenty of money if you'd have been faithful this year giving to have money for Christmas gifts. It's a universal law of sowing and reaping. But Jesus said there's a wrong way to give. Look with me in verse number two. First of all, Jesus says that we're not to be as the hypocrites. This word hypocrite was originally used to describe a Greek actor who wore a mask on the stage to portray an exaggerated role that was simply being dramatized. Uh, The word hypocrite simply means this, two-faced, two-faced. Jesus used the word to describe the scribes and the Pharisees and other religious leaders. Pharisee and hypocrite, they're almost synonymous. Today we think of hypocrites mostly in a religious sense. That is, those who pretend to be pious, holy, but are really very worldly and carnal. Sunday is not a performance. We're to be real, genuine, and authentic when we come to church. And though because some, uh, because some of us, we have our sin, we sometimes act hypocritical. We should never be hypocrites as a lifestyle. Uh, let me just explain. The Bible says here that secondly, we're not to sound the trumpet when we give. Do you know that there's only a couple people in this church that know what I give? I We have four trustees. The trustees get a report of my giving for accountability purposes so that I'm not standing up here and saying something that as a pastor I'm not doing myself. And obviously my wife knows and then the financial administrator knows. There's only a small handful. We are not sounding a trumpet about how much we give. But if you want to talk to one of the trustees, I encourage you. I have no problem. Does Pastor Armstrong give above his tithes and offerings? And they can answer that question. But we're not here to sound a a trumpet. And it seems a bit strange to us, but according to Jesus, the Pharisees, uh, they proceeded in their giving by having trumpeters. Boy, that's a great instrument. But they had trumpeters who would blow loud fanfares as they would come in and they would call attention to their generosity. Uh, It was a religious performance as they brought their tithes, their offerings to the temple. And perhaps they used the excuse that the sound of the trumpets attracted the attention of the poor and maybe gave the the poor hope. I have a Greek word that I found when I think about this, and it's this Greek word, baloney. John 12 and verse 43 describes them accurately when it says this, they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Third, here he, he, in, talking, uh, in talking about uh, there's a wrong way to give, uh, we are not to seek the glory of men, but the reward of God. There's a lot of people that want to seek the glory of men. I, I love verse 3 and 4. He says there's a right way to give. And from our text verses, we learned that our giving is to be done privately, in secret, which is the opposite of sounding a trumpet. That's why we have private 
giving boxes here that you can drop your tithe in or you can give online. Uh, private, secret, anonymous giving does not seek the approval of others. It really only seeks the approval of God. Jesus says that we're to be so conscious of the private nature of giving. that, that Notice the phrase here. He says that we should not uh, thy left hand know what our right hand uh, doeth. The fact of the matter is, is that the left hand and the right hand, even though they're, the, the, even though they're linked to this body, that they do not know. Uh, this was a perverse expression of the time. The idea is that since most of us are right-handed and do most of uh, our work with our right hand, our righteous acts ought to be so private that our left hand doesn't even know what our good right hand is doing. I like this illustration that Jesus gives that we can understand 2,000 years later. Well, my time's slipping away. Clarification number three, very quickly this morning. Jesus challenges the sincerity of prayer warriors. Jesus challenges the sincerity of of prayer warriors. In verse number five, Jesus teaches us that our prayers are not to be hypocritical. Jesus points to the bad example of the, of the Pharisees, and their prayers were almost in public. They would stand in their, their robes uh, uh, on the street corners, and they loved, the Bible says, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets. Remember the contrasting prayers of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Jesus said this, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. He literally, to their face, called them hypocrites. That's pretty bold. How many hypocritical prayers have you heard uttered in church? I've heard some people pray a prayer that sounded like it come from a recording device. Asking them to pray was like pushing the, the play button on a recording device. They just say the same thing over and over and over again. Now, do not misunderstand. Jesus is not against public prayers. In fact, the Bible is full of public prayers, many examples. The point is, is that when we pray, our heart should be sincere from, the pure, from a pure heart. But the Bible also says that our prayers should be private. In verse number 6, public prayers are merely an extension of a much more meaningful, deeper private prayers that come in time alone with God. And when we pray, we're not to go to our room. Uh, um, when we pray, we're to go to our room or our closet or uh, our shower or our office or our, our private place and shut the door. What he's saying here, this indicates absolute privacy. No distractions. The television is off. The radio is off. Uh, the dog's not there uh, uh, barking at us. Uh, the, whatever. The children aren't underneath our feet. There's a private place where we get along. The point is not so much where you pray, but the fact that you are alone seeking God's face. Here's what he said. We're to pray to the Father, which is in secret. And there's nothing wrong with praying with others. I've received much benefit from prayer partnership. And however, the most important type of prayer is a private, personal, daily time with God. May I say that again? The most important prayer is a private, personal, daily time with the Lord. So I want to ask you, when was the last time you were completely alone praying with God? Psalm 27, verse 8 says, When thou said, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto me, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. In Psalm 91, in verse number 1, it says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. 
God honors private prayer. Why is that? Because men do not know uh, about it. People cannot think you are spiritual if they do not know what you are doing. There's no fanfare. There's no performance. There's no glory from men. There's no trumpeters uh, 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 going before you because only you and God know about it. And he says this. Jesus says this. Wouldn't we all want this? I cannot understand why we would not want this. Thy Father which seeth thee in secret shall reward thee openly. Why is there no power in your life? Why is God not answering prayers? Why are there no rewards? Could it be that we never get alone with God in private? God rewards private prayer. When's the last time you had a private prayer with the Lord? Our prayers are to be authentic in verse number 7. Jesus says we're not to use vain repetitions as the heathens do. We're not to babble on meaningless words and phrases. We're not to say the same thing every single time we pray. How would you like it if every time I spoke to you I said the same thing? How would you like to hear the same sermon every single week? God does not want to hear the same same vain, or that literally means empty, the same empty prayer day after day. Open your soul to God. Tell Him what's in your heart. Be transparent with him. Length does not mean much either. Jesus said this, the heathen think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. That word much there means endless. They just go on. They babble, babble, babble. By the way, let me show you verse number eight. We'll wrap this up this morning. Our prayers will be answered. Isn't that a great promise? Our prayers will be answered. God knoweth what things ye have need of before you even ask him. In fact, he supplies our need even before we realize we have a need. Martin Luther said this, By our praying, we are instructing ourselves more than we instruct God. Have you ever prayed the most important prayer? You say there is a most important prayer? Absolutely. The most important prayer of all in all of life is this. A prayer for salvation. A prayer recognizing that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and you want Jesus to be a part of your life. A prayer receiving the gift of God. Have you ever prayed the most important prayer? Those people that were baptized this morning, um, they've prayed that most important prayer. Acknowledging that they're a sinner in need of a Savior and they have asked Jesus to save them. Have you ever prayed the most important prayer? If you haven't, I beg you today to do that. I ran across an interesting statistic. The Lord's Prayer contains 56 words. The Gettysburg Address, 266. The Ten Commandments, 297. The Declaration of Independence, 300. A recent U.S. government order setting the price of cabbage, 26911 It's not how long we talk. It's what we say that's important.